Let me open us with a word of prayer. We'll, we'll divide up for our prayer time and then we'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessings you've given us. Lord, as we have the last Sunday to worship you in 2015, it's hard to believe a year has gone by so quickly. Lord, as we think about what's happened this year, you've shown yourself again to be faithful despite the many challenges we have faced as a Sunday school class and as a church and as individuals and as families. Lord, you have shown yourself to be faithful as you always do. We pray today, Lord, as we think about the future that that you would help us to continue to trust you, to continue to have faith. And as we prepare to enter a new year, Lord, we pray that we would be purposed in our hearts, but enabled by your spirit to live lives more pleasing to you in 2016 than in 2015. Lord, as often said in scripture, even when we do well, the admonition is to excel still more. We pray that we would be that as individuals and as families and as a Sunday school class and as a church. Lord, today we pray that you would encourage us, strengthen us. We thank you for the holiday season where we have a time to visit and fellowship and rejoice. And yet we also know, Lord, that for many people it's a sad time as they deal with the loss of loved ones and the memories that come back. And I just pray, Lord, that you would comfort every one of your children in the midst of this. And as we have opportunities, Lord, that we would be a blessing to others so that they could see in us the hope of Christ. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. As we are here in our time remaining, we're going to open up God's Word. For this week, I'm not going to be resuming in Hebrews. I'm going to teach a different message. As always, at this time of year, I start thinking about next year. Part of it is thinking about next year in terms of teaching, but more than that is planning for family. I mean, every one of us gets a fresh start come January 1. It's not really a fresh start, but we think of it as a fresh start, and we get to do things differently in the year ahead. Some things we get to do better, some things that we did well last year we want to improve upon. And it's challenging at times because this is not a room full primarily of 20-year-olds. Most of us are older, so we've lived a lot of life, and some of you have already retired. Some of you are looking at retirement, and then there's some like me that have a long way to go. And then there are some who are very young. But it's an American pastime, and I think it's a universal human trait to want to plan for a new year, and that's a good thing. It's not inappropriate. As a rule, we don't make New Year's resolutions in our home, but it's not because there's any theological basis. We just have enough experience with failure that we don't fool ourselves. And so um, (laughs) we just go ahead and hit the ground running with honesty on January 1. But I do make plans like anybody else. I already have things in my mind that I want to do differently next year. I have things that I want to approach a little bit differently. And one of the things that occurred to me is it's always appropriate to look and deal with planning biblically, thinking about the future in a biblical way. And to do that this morning, we're going to go to a passage that would be familiar to some of you. I've taught from it in years past, but if you open your Bibles, turn to the book of James. It's easy enough if you have your Bible creased to the book of Hebrews, James is next. So it shouldn't be too hard. And we're going to be looking in James chapter 4. And James was dealing with real life, a lot of practical instruction for 
Jewish believers who had been dispersed outside of the physical land of Israel. Persecution had broken out and many of them had been scattered. And James was written to encourage and exhort them and to rebuke them where necessary and to point them towards appropriate living. And one of the interesting portions of James, and again it's a very familiar passage, is in James chapter 4 beginning at verse 13. Because it is a specific warning that interacts with theology in a serious way. In some respects, it deals directly with the sovereignty of God. And in other ways, it just deals with the hard attitude that we have as we look ahead to the future. And so for us, I'm just going to set out a few guidelines or thoughts today. I've got multiple points. I won't get through the entire text that I have laid out. But I am probably going to hit probably verses 13 through 15 and try and cover a few cautions that you should have in mind, even as you look forward to 2016. A few things that you can just put in your mind and you can percolate through your thinking so that you approach and deal with the new year in a biblical way, particularly if you're setting forward and making plans. So I'm going to read verses 13 to 15 of James chapter 4. You can follow along with me as I read. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. I'll go ahead and read verse 16, even though I'm probably not going to get to it. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Now again, this is a section of scripture where there's some exhortations and admonitions given to children of God. In the context of the book of James, the book was designed to help believers live out their faith. I think the entire book of James is summarized in James chapter 1, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. If you've been in churches for very long, you've interacted with people who've deluded themselves. You haven't always known it, but there are a lot of people that say, I know Jesus, I'm a Christian, and yet their lives don't reflect that at all. If you look at how they live Monday through Saturday, it's a far cry from the picture the Bible paints of biblical Christianity. Now, of course, we don't work our way to heaven. You can live perfectly and still be going to hell. The Pharisees show that perfectly being external obedience to perceived rules and regulations. But the fact remains, the book of James is designed to help us put into practice the faith that we claim to have. And if we do have faith, these are exhortations that tell you this is how you walk in obedience. This is how you prove yourselves doers of the word. And when we get to James chapter 4 verse 13, it's showing how to be a doer of the word in relation to looking forward into your future. So the first caution when planning your future, and I'm just labeling it a caution, you could call it any number of things, but the first caution when planning your future is this, and even as you think ahead to next year, think this way, don't make your plans with finality. Don't make your plans with finality. 
Now, verse 13 is where it's coming from. It says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Really, if you didn't know this was written thousands of years ago, this sounds a lot like America because America is obsessed with planning for the future. You can't even watch TV without seeing commercial after commercial telling you how to plan for your future, for retirement or for some medical emergency or something else. And I'm not here to tell you don't plan. I'm not saying that. That's not what the Bible is teaching. It has to do with what is going on in your heart when you're thinking about the future. As Americans at an early age, it's drained into us. Think ahead, think ahead, think ahead. If anybody saw our retirement account, they would have a heart attack because we do not live by the American motto of save for the future. It hasn't worked out that way. It wasn't intentional. We didn't start out. We're, we're, our anniversary, I think, is 24 years. This is going to be 24 years we're celebrating. We didn't start out in year one saying, you know what, let's just be irresponsible. Let's throw caution to the wind. Let's just make sure that when we get to this point, pushing 50, I just turned 49, let's make sure we have no money in the bank. And let's make sure, even though we're going to work all that time, let's make sure we have no retirement funds set aside. But God had those plans, and that's the way things worked. But the point of this is, looking ahead, it's not saying live carelessly. It's just saying, look at your heart when you're thinking about the future. Again, the reason we plan for the future is because in some respects we fear uncertainty. All of us wants to know what's going to happen tomorrow. If we had the ability, we would love to know what's going to happen in January of next year. And then in February, and then in March, and then in April. But the people to whom James was writing were living in a similar circumstance. They had the same human motivation. Sinful humanity hasn't changed The desires of the heart haven't changed. People want security. People want to work and make a profit. And what was happening here went beyond regular planning. Because this is a rebuke. What happened here is people thought they controlled their own destiny. James says, come now you who say. He's directing something. He's trying to get their attention. He wants them to focus on what he's about to say. And he's dealing with specific people who think this way all the time. This isn't a flippant thought. This is somebody who's really in their heart attitude thinks, I control my own fate. I am the master of my destiny. Let me tell you, here's what my life is going to look like. In the context James is specifically dealing with, they were mapping out their financial future as though it all depended on them. They were living with specific plans for specific purposes and they thought they controlled the outcome. Again, these weren't generic, I hope we have a secure future. This was very specific, today or tomorrow, the imagery being they had concrete plans that were going to kick into place. In our nomenclature, January 1, 2016, I'm going to do this. And that planning included the ability to work in a certain way. They were going to go to a certain city and they were going to set up shop, do some type of business. They were going to spend a year there and they were going to make a profit. Again, these weren't individuals who were just thinking, I'm going to work next year. We all have employment or many of us do. Some of you are retired. Praise the Lord for that. These people confidently asserted not only that they were going to do things, they controlled the outcome. 
never occurred to them that something could happen that would keep them from fulfilling their plans. They knew that if they could only leave at a certain time and get to a certain place and set up a certain business and operate it in a certain way, the cash was going to flow to them. Again, this happens all around us. I'm always amused by infomercials. Don't, don't ask me why for years I've watched infomercials. I've never ordered anything off an of infomercial. I think it's more of an interesting fascination with the gullibility of humanity. Because you'll see the same infomercial on channel after channel, and it costs a lot of money to put it there. And it could be flipping houses, or it could be some other type of business opportunity. Years ago, I, I can still remember, it rings in my head, there was a guy, um, self-made millionaire, cash flow expert. And he sold tons of them. Some of you probably even know the name just by me saying that. I didn't say it on purpose. But the point is, it's not the planning that is the issue. It's this assumption that we control everything in our lives. It's the assumption that we affect the outcome. That through our own efforts, as long as we do what we say, everything is going to work out. Again, this isn't condemning planning. I think there are illustrations in the scriptures of planning. Certainly there are exhortations about that. In fact, Jesus gave a, a story at one point, And he was talking and explaining things in Luke 14. And he says, verse 28, For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? In other words, even Jesus, in telling a story, was dealing with the basic picture that it's, it's a normal thing to plan it out. Certainly, if you're going to build a house, you want to make sure you have the money to build the house. If you're going to pursue a career, you want to make sure you have the education to pursue a career. If you're going to pursue a business, you want to make sure you have the resources to pursue it. What is going on here is not a condemnation of planning. So as we look forward, the issue is not don't plan for next year. You can plan. That's okay. The issue is make sure you write your plans in pencil, not ink. Because... God in his sovereignty can alter everything. And if we cling to our plans, if we set things out and say, look, unless it goes my way, it's all a failure. We've stepped into a realm of sin. We don't have the final say on our lives. For these individuals, they had come to the point in their lives where they assumed they were sovereign. They assumed they were in control. Now, I could pause for a few minutes, and I already hinted at it in my own life. When we first got married, my life, I would have told you, would look a lot different at this age. The main thing is I would have been very wealthy. I was starting my last semester of law school. Never had any idea that I was going to be a pastor instead at some point. But many of you have started out on one path, and the Lord has radically redirected your steps. I think the focus of this exhortation in James is for every one of us to guard our hearts against deciding our own destiny. Can we plan? Of course we can plan. Can you go to school? Of course you can go to school. Can you pursue a career? Of course you can pursue a career. But at each step of the way, it has to do with your heart attitude. I, a particular commentator that I love on the book of James says this, the language reflects assurance and self-confidence. 
They assume that it's execution, meaning their plans. Execution is entirely in their control. No thought is given to their dependence upon God or to the uncertainty of life. That's the key for us. As we look ahead to next year, for some of us doing things completely differently, for some of us just continuing on with the life we're living, we always have to remember that God is sovereign, not us. That God can redirect our steps. And that really sort of leads to the second caution as you're looking forward. The first was don't make your plans with finality. Second, don't assume your future is certain. Don't assume your future is certain. In other words, don't assume that you have a next year. Don't assume that you know how long you're going to live. James in verse 14 provides a very sobering and practical reason to hold off on confidently saying, this is my life. Verse 14, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. James is not trying to depress people. He's not trying to be a downer and make everyone discouraged. He's just pointing out the reality of the human condition in a sin-filled world. We don't know what our life will look like tomorrow. Again, it's not saying we don't plan. Certainly we work hard. We do diligence. But as he reminds us, our lives in the scheme of things are just a vapor. And we appear and then we vanish and we're done. Gets to the heart of everything. We get very conditioned to assuming that we're going to keep living. And yet every day if we watch the news, people have died unexpectedly. Certainly some people live long lives and then they die of old age, of the natural condition. But every day people die unexpectedly, boom, their lives are over. I didn't read the article, but I saw a headline about uh, horrific storms in Texas yesterday, I think. Eight people were died. Those people hit Christmas Day looking forward to New Year's and their lives are over. Here was the whole point. Again, it's not to discourage us. It's just to help us to have a biblical perspective. We understand if we know Christ, we don't fear death. The fact that we were to die tomorrow would not be a source of great consternation for us who die. We'd be in heaven with the Lord. We'd be in the presence of joy forever. In fact, when you're thinking in a more lucid manner, death sounds appealing at times. Not in an artificial way. God controls the length of our life. But if you're thinking correctly, you recognize it's better to be with the Lord than it is to be here struggling along in a sin-filled world. Again, the point James is making here is not to have us all looking around depressed. Woe is me, the sky is falling. Rather, it's to help us have this sense at every moment that this could be the last day we have on earth. And we should live accordingly. Again, not living foolishly or frivolously. It's not saying this afternoon go out and squander all your resources because you might not be here tomorrow. Because you might be here tomorrow and you'll need those resources. But the idea is to have a healthy and appropriate perspective On the fact that you don't control your own destiny. If you know Christ. You recognize he's sovereign not you. And he can redirect your steps at any time. 
Again, I see occasionally around here fortune teller places. In California, there were a ton of them. You'd see them on every street corner. Used to be a big deal on TV. There were psychic hotlines. You'd call in, you'd give them your credit card, and they'll tell you things. The idea is people want to know the future. The reality is we don't know it, and we're not meant to know it. Going back to the book of Proverbs, a familiar proverb, Proverb 27.1, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. James is really asserting the same type of truth. Again, our lives can be transitory. On a cold day, which none of us can remember what a cold day was like. <laughs> but if there was a cold day, and you know how you breathe out, and you see the little bit of uh, the vapor in front of your face, and then it's gone. James is saying in the scheme of things, that's what your life is really like. Again, that's not denigrating life. That's not downplaying life. That's not saying life's not important. If you've been called by Jesus Christ, if you know him, then as long as you have life and breath, we're serving him for his glory. He's created good works from all eternity past. He's created good works for us that when we come to faith, we walk in them. So life is a good thing. It's a gift to have life. The reminder here, though, is just that it's brief. We cannot, if we know these truths, live as though we are invincible. I was re-watching a, a movie that just happened to be on Netflix. And I won't get into what the movie was, but a portion of the movie was that these particular people were cursed and they couldn't die. And so they lived with impunity. They ran around as though nothing could happen to them. And of course they did because it was a fictitious movie, but nothing could happen to them. Christians aren't supposed to live that way. We're supposed to treat life as a gift. We're supposed to look forward to it. It's appropriate to look ahead, but we should not think that we're going to live forever because we're not. And we shouldn't put all of our resources into the future when we have a now that requires our attention. Again, we should never assume our future is certain. We don't know how many days we have on the earth. We can plan, we can live appropriately as we look forward to the new year. It's okay to say, you know what, here, Lord, I'd like to purpose these goals. But we have to have the right perspective. And this really brings up the key that I want to get to as we think about 2016 and we think about New Year's resolutions or planning for the next year. It's the third caution. So first, don't make your plans with finality. Second, don't assume your future is certain. And third, don't forget God in your planning. Verse 15 really ties all this together of how you can do the exact same actions and not be sinful. Verse 15, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. This is the crux. This is the contrast. There's one way to live where you say, here's what I'm going to do. I've got it figured out. There's another way you live instead in other words, the contra way, the different way, which is the appropriate way, is to say, you know what? It's in the Lord's hands. If the Lord wills, this is my plans. Taking it back to verse 13, you know what? I'm going to trust the Lord. I'd like to go to this particular place. I'd like to set up a business, and I hope that it's successful. But the Lord's sovereign, and the Lord's in control, and I'm going to be doing it for His glory. This really is how we should approach every day, if the Lord wills. 
But even as we're looking to the future, even as we're planning the next year, even as we're looking at our ministry responsibilities for the next year, we're looking at our financial planning, or we're looking at our career choices, or we're looking at our retirement, in every aspect of our lives, we should be living along the lines of, if God wills, this is what we're going to do. If we forget God, it becomes atheism. If we're not asking God's blessing on our plans, if we're not holding our plans loosely saying, Lord, you're sovereign to change what we're planning, then we're not living in a truly biblical way. You know, that over the centuries, millennium, there have been countless heresies about God. And there's a particular heresy that used to have sway in America that people confuse and they get mixed up about. I'm not going to get into political discourse about whether the founding fathers were all born again Christians or not. A lot of people make a lot of money with that assertion and that assertion can't be verified in the way that some people profess in videos and websites and things like that. But a common view at the time our country was founded was the idea of deism. It might acknowledge that there existed a higher power, but their belief was that higher power had nothing to do with life. There might be a God, but he doesn't care about the earth. There's nothing here for him to deal with, so you're on your own. Pull up your bootstraps. Get to it. Don't pray to God because God's not interested. That's heresy. They had the idea, even if there was a God and he made the natural laws and the national order, he walked away and he was done with it. That's not biblical Christianity. But if we plan and map out our lives without looking at God's will, then that's what we've become. We've become those who might profess one thing, but we're living as though God was uninterested, as though God was not concerned with our lives. And that's absolutely untrue. The biblical record is clear. God has always been active in his creation. And God has been personally active. Meaning God interacted with the lives of individuals. Not in some generic man upstairs hands off way. But as interactive with his creation. Interactive with his children. He's involved in every aspect of life. And according to the entire picture of Scripture, that was the point of Jesus coming to earth. That's why we celebrate Christmas, because Jesus became human. God cared so much about fallen man that he sent his son to the earth to live as a human. The God-man, fully God, fully man. The point in all this is that we don't have a distant God who is uninterested. We have a God who cares about the details why we have in scripture over and over again I've got multiple scriptures I'm not reading them to you but they're there about praying pray without ceasing always being in prayer to God James earlier made it clear in James chapter 1 if any of you lacks wisdom meaning if you don't know how to deal with the challenges of life if any of you lacks wisdom let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach So when James says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. He's really just telling us, when you make plans for the future, always involve God. Don't leave God out of the equation. I've heard a lot of 
young Christian couples talk about the number of kids they're going to have as though God had no say in it. Oh, we're going to have two. We're going to have a boy and a girl. And Are you kidding me? Or, you know, I'm going to work and I'm going to retire at 50 and they're saying this at 22. I mean, it's not wrong to have aspirations. That's not the point. But if you're not saying if the Lord wills, you don't understand God's sovereignty. And James is telling us when God, excuse me, when you're making your plans, include God. As you think ahead, again, I'm going to be putting this into practice as I think over the next few days about the next year. And you think about what you'd like to accomplish in 2016 or what you'd like to do better. At every stage, if it's the Lord's will. God is in charge of these things. We live every aspect of the shadow of, excuse me, every aspect of our daily lives under the shadow of the sovereignty of God. You've always got to be conscious of God's will. If I were to ask for testimonies right now in this room with a number of people here, I promise you my experiences, mine and Debbie's experiences are not unique. A lot of you thought your lives would look different than they do now. Boom, and they're different. A lot of you 10 years ago thought your life would look a certain way and it looks completely different. You see that in your professional lives. You see that in your family lives. You see that in the lives of your children. You see this in the life of your parents and of your brothers and sisters. And there's countless times when I could ask you and you could say, yeah, I was planning to do something and the Lord intervened. Thank goodness he did. I didn't realize it was going to be a disaster. And then there are other times when the Lord intervened and we're like, Lord, that was going to be the perfect plan. What would you stop me for? Again, this is not some type of magic incantation that James is setting forth. That if as long as you make your plans and then you throw in, if the Lord wills, it's okay. That, that's not his point. His point is just that as you look towards the future, recognize that the future is controlled by God, not by you. I used to work with an attorney in San Diego and he had lived for a period of time in the Middle East. And in the Middle East, he took him a while to learn. He worked for an American contractor there for a couple of years and it took him a while to learn that you had to be careful with what people said because a common expression when people would be dealing with a business transaction, again, this is secondhand, I didn't live there, this wasn't my experience, he said they would always say, if Allah wills. And he thought that didn't mean anything. And eventually he meant, if, he, if they say Allah wills, ignore everything they just said. Because <laughs> that was their excuse to lie to you. In, in no way am I saying, do you make false plans and say, well, if God wills, and then when it doesn't happen, you can excuse your own apathy or laziness or anything like that. That's not what I mean. Rather, we're to be active. We're to be good stewards. We're to be conscientious. We're to try and appropriately plan and do things But at every point of the way, we recognize that we don't control our own fate. We don't control our own destiny. God is sovereign. And if God changes your plans as much as you think they're set in concrete for 2016, if God changes your plan, the idea is not to shake your fist at God, but to praise Him. And say, thank you, Lord. And what we can do now is prepare our hearts for God's sovereign intervention in our lives. So let me encourage you, as you think ahead... Plan appropriately, that's okay. Map things out as best you can. 
but at every step of the way, recognize that God is sovereign, not you. If you forget that, verse 16 calls your hard attitude evil. For those who don't recognize God's intervention, verse 16, but as it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Don't enter 2016 on an evil note. Join me as I close our time in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your sovereign intervention in our lives. Lord, I know I have aspirations for 2016. Lord, I know we have plans, things that we are certain are going to occur. Lord, we've already taken steps to put into place certain of those plans, Lord, and we already assume they're going to be carried to fruition. Even in that, I pray that you would help me to recognize your sovereignty. And Lord, for my brothers and sisters here, every one of us, I pray that we would approach the coming year with the right heart attitude. Lord, we have very young people in this room and we have older saints in this room, yet every one of us plans on living next year. Lord, help us plan appropriately. Help us plan according to your will. And yet with our planning, Lord, I pray that for each one of us, you'd given us aware, give us an awareness, awareness of your sovereignty. Help us to recognize and understand and accept that our plans are just that. They're our plans. And that you, the sovereign king of the universe, who sent your son to die for us and to save us, can direct our steps in a different direction if you so choose. Lord, I thank you for the blessings we've experienced in 2015 and the challenges that we faced. And I pray that in 2016 we would face Life with expectation and hope, but also with an awareness that you are in charge. We ask all of these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.